Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Good morning, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Thank you, thank you. So warm welcome. Uh, it's good to be up here. Uh, so, my daughter, she, if you hadn't seen her, well, she was in the cry room uh, utilizing the new space, but uh, she's about to turn 10 months this week and excited about that. Okay, you clap for that. Great. So, what's interesting is that my wife and I, we're, we're convinced that little Annabella, about to be 10 months old, that she's the cutest she's ever going to get before it's not so cute anymore. Uh, and so there's this nostalgia that comes with that where uh, sometimes when we talk about her, uh, we bring up how just yesterday she was beginning to crawl or, or how j- just yesterday she, she popped her first smile. Uh, and so there's this idea where, man, time is fleeting, time is passing and she's growing and yet we kind of... We relish those, those first days. And then there's this anxiety that sets in when we fast forward and we think to when she'll be a teenager. And if you're a parent with young ones, if you just got tense right now, then I, I feel you. Because that's kind of what happens. You just kind of tense up. I feel, I, I feel this a lot when I'm changing diapers. I feel this a lot when I'm, when I'm changing diapers. See, right now she's 10 months old, or about to be 10 months old, and changing diapers with Annabella is like wrestling an alligator without teeth. Uh, but I can remember when she could barely lift her head, and she would just lay there on the bed, and I could just change her, and it was so sweet. It was so simple. It was so easy. And then my mind races to where when she's 20 pounds or 25 pounds and 30 pounds and when she's 18 months and then I'm thinking, I kind of like it right now. Like right now, it's, it's just okay. It's not so bad right now. So we're in this weird place. Obviously, she's going to grow. Obviously, we want her to grow. But there's a part of us that secretly wants her to stay just as she is. When I think about our spiritual lives... Um, don't we often kind of think the same thing secretly? We would all kind of want growth, but then some of us are just satisfied with, with right now. Like right now, if we could just make it through today, then, then that's, that's enough for us. There are some of us that you're not satisfied with right now, and you want to grow, but when you realize what it took for God to get you where you're at now, when you think about the future, you're kind of, let me just, let me just stay put. I think about this church. And in three weeks, we'll be cel- or two weeks, we'll be celebrating three years, which is wild, right? And I can remember what it looked like three years ago when the room was less than half this built. And there's some of us, and I've heard, and I kind of share the same sentiments, where we wanted to kind of stay just as it is. It's, it's nice, it's intimate, it's warm, it's very close-knit. And some of us wonder what it would look like if we filled the room 
Like if we pack the room all the way to the back wall, would we lose that closeness? And so many of us wonder, yeah, like we, we want it to grow. We want our church to grow, but there's a part of us that wants us to stay just as it is. But it would be quite odd for me to be changing diapers for Annabella when she's five years old. Imagine that struggle. Likewise, it would be odd for us to remain the same as a church three years from now. If we never grew, if nothing ever changed with us as a people. And I think for us as Christians... For us as New City Fellowship, our commitment is, is to grow. One of, our, uh, one of our taglines is that we are biblic- biblically rooted, that we are we, we're rooted in the Bible, and so we're committed to grow. And so we want to, as a church, ensure that we continue to grow as a church for the next three years and, and beyond that. So we're continuing our series in Gather, Grow, and Go, and this week, We're looking at the early church and their commitment to the word. So we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and go there. Um, Some folks in the back, if you don't have a Bible, just slip your hand up. They uh, wouldn't mind getting you a copy. And so we're going to be looking at the Colossian church. And we're going to hear from the words of Paul how the growth of the Colossian church is linked to their commitment to the word. And how the word was at work in them. And then I want to point us to to God's commitment to his word. And how we can find encouragement that that same word is at work in us as his church today. So let's go to Colossians 1. We'll be in chapter 1 verses 3 to 14. And Paul writes this. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it is among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Would you pray for me and pray with me? Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would unfold your word to us, that because of this we would learn uh, not just about our church's commitment to your word, but also your commitment to your word. And that we would grow as a church because of it. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul is writing to this church, and he's wanting to make it abundantly clear that the church that grows is going to be a church committed to the word. And growth is a loaded word here, and it could mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Uh, But for the Christian and for the church, growth is referring to a deep commitment to his word, where we as a church hear the true message of the gospel, and we understand the grace of God. Doesn't that also mean that we, that we grow then as a church, that, that, that this church fills up with people? It does mean that, but we'll, we'll look at that in just a second. And that's not necessarily our part. Just a quick background on the church of Colossae at this time. So Paul is writing to this congregation, and they had planted this church. He had uh, people that were uh, believers because of his ministry, and they went on to plant this church. And then at the same time, at, at this particular time, there were uh, whispers of teaching that was creeping in, that were teaching false gospels, that were teaching something that was, uh, some people think it was more mystical than it was gospel. And it was highly spiritual, but it just didn't have Jesus to that. This teaching, it might have had references to God, may not have, but there was no real true message focusing on Jesus. So in many ways, it might have looked like a Sunday morning service uh, featuring Tony Robbins instead of Kanye. And interestingly enough, uh, if you didn't know, this is where many Americans find ourselves in today. We're more, more people that I've come across that I've had conversations with that are not Christian, they would say that they really are highly spiritual. They, they, they really love engaging in the spiritual paths, but they're just not really involved in religion. It's almost as though in many ways they had uh, seen the church let others down or the church had let them down. And because of that, they're opting for uh, spirituality without any kind of true accountability. It's, it's sentimentality without submission. It's, it's this idea that we can be rooted in our feelings without any trace or semblance of truth. Truth is what I make it to be and not what other people say that it is. And so everything is kind of on their own terms. In the end, it leaves one feeling empty and without any substantial, any substantial thing to dig their faith into. We hear this often in song lyrics, don't we? We'll hear things or we'll see this on Hallmark movies. You know, the holiday season is coming up. I'm, I'm married, so I got the, the Hallmark on. Um, if you're laughing, yes, it'll happen to you too. Um, <laughs> But, but basically, we hear the same thing, and there's like these nice lovey-dovey messages where someone's going through a hard time, and, and you might hear things that uh, just sound something along the lines of, you just have to have faith. Faith will get you through. You just have to have faith. But without, without any kind of reference to, to God or the, the Christ or the church. And so for that, my response is, faith, faith in What? But what kind of faith are we talking about? It's this vague kind of notion of spirituality. And that's where we're at today. That's in many ways where some folks in this church were at. But it's during this great threat of empty spirituality that the true message of the gospel was bearing fruit and growing. And Paul even goes on to say that it was actually bearing fruit in the whole world. The word truth is actually used twice in those two verses, in verse 5 and verse 6, and it's most likely alluding to the notion that if there's a true message of the gospel, there are also 
false messages of the gospel. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. John actually preached a two-part message earlier this year entitled, Watch Out. You can listen to that. But suffice to say, much of the latter part of the New Testament, much of the latter part of this book is really focused in on securing and protecting the true message of the gospel. Much of the writings that Paul and James and the others will write is actually against false teachings. And we have to know that, that the, the, Bible, the, the, the authors of the Bible were intent, they were committed not just to the word, but to the truth of the word, that, that we got it right in order to be able to pass it on. That was the part, or their part, in ensuring the growth of the church. And that was their commitment to the true message. And as the Colossians commit themselves to the word, as Paul writes, the church is to bear fruit and grow in verse, in verse 10. So the church, the believers, follow in the pattern of the message. So the word creates the church, and the church in turn grows as the word grows. It's symbolic. As, as the word grows and spreads, so does the church. The product is growth, growth for the church, but also growth for the believers in that church. It's not just numerically. It's not just the numbers. It's just not butts in seats. It's also something happens to the believers as they start to commit themselves to the word. Now, this was the scene in the early church. For the first 300 years, the church was deeply committed to the word. There's this historian, uh, Larry Hurtado, he teaches early church history, and and he notes that Christianity was was unique, and it was distinct in its uh, relation to other religions, larger religions around them, most notably the Roman Empire. And what he writes is that at the time, Christianity was very much a bookish religion. What he meant by that was that much of the church was adamant and dedicated to the word, and so they spent much of their time copying it, copying it, reading it, and spreading it. Of all the surviving texts that we have of the ancient world, the Bible is the most attested, and it's not even close. With some 6,000 fragments and parchments and pieces of passages that we have in existence. So we even see outside of the Bible the churches, the early churches' commitment to the word. Now, the part of growth that believers, that you and I actually take part in, as we talk about growth, the part that we play in this whole thing, according to Paul, according to this passage, is hearing the message of the gospel and understanding the grace of God. Hearing the message of the gospel and understanding the grace of God. This is what Paul writes in verse 5 and 6. In fact, some of the reformers of the 15th century when they were reforming the church and it broke out against the Catholic church, and, and that's the church that you and I and many other traditions sit in today, they said that for the believer, the most important part to him or her was actually the ear. The ear was the most important part to anybody because it's with the ear that you hear the gospel message and it's with the ear that you hear and understand the grace of God. Now, how they figured out people that were deaf, I'm not quite sure, but for us in this room, we hear the message, and if you really think about it, what was Christianity early on? 
what was Christianity during the time of the Bible? How would they have defined it? How would the early church have defined Christianity? It wasn't sacrifices or altars or temple services. They had no buildings. It was the message they shared, the message that they believed, and it's what they responded to. Christianity, at its core, was just a message. But that message changed everything. So often we confuse Christianity with what we do for God. And we equate Christianness with how often we go to church or the ways that we're serving in church. And it's very much based on our reputation and our performance. But Christianity early on was associated with what God was doing in his people, the church. Not what the people were doing for God. It was what was God doing in the life of his church. And it was through a message that they shared and heard, and it changed people. Because for the first time, people understood the grace of God. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. So I don't know if you followed pop culture news in the last 10 days, week and a half or so, but uh, much has been made of Kanye West uh, as John had just uh, prayed for him. But Kanye West, he's kind of adamant about his new professed Christian life. Uh, And it's an artist, if you don't know who Kanye is. Um, He's sold platinum selling records and he now hosts Sunday services um, at local spaces. And just a little over a week ago, he released an album titled, Jesus is King. Now, I paid attention to some of the comments and some of the articles and what was being written in the columns about Kanye. And it's interesting to hear not only the critique on his project, but also on Kanye himself. Christians kind of seem divided about him. Many weren't even sure, many are not sure what to make of his conversion, whether it's really true or not. And others given Kanye's reputation and body of work, spoke about whether this album would be welcomed in Christian award shows as far as the nominations go. Obviously, he would sell, and he is selling. It was number one on the charts this past week. But would the Christian community actually let him in, and would he be allowed to win an award when that time, when those awards uh, come up? Never mind that his tracks have biblically rich lyrics now. I've heard some more than other Christian records. And never mind that this album is specifically Jesus-focused. When so many other Christian rap artists are actually pulling away from the Jesus in their titles and in their lyrics. But I was thinking um, just the other day. How much, or how, how hard it must be for Kanye right now. He doesn't really fit in the world that he came from, and, and Christians aren't really sure what to make of him right now. He's being critiqued from his own, and others are kind of on this fence. Let's wait and see. Let's wait and see what happens to him. And I thought, if anyone could understand what Kanye is going through right now, it would have been Paul, the writer of Colossians. Christians may not know what to make of Kanye, but the early church didn't know what to make of Paul. Understand that Paul, the writer of this passage, he had been a persecutor of the church. 
he violently opposed it, and he wanted to stomp it out. In fact, the story takes a turn when he was on his way to Damascus to persecute some Christians. Paul and Kanye were both lost, albeit in different ways. But then again, at one point, weren't we all? Weren't we all lost? Weren't we at all one point under the sentence of death, under God's wrath and facing eternal condemnation, lost in our sin and in our shame? But God. To understand God's grace is to understand that the Father sent the Son on a spec op, on a special operation to rescue and redeem humanity. See, it's one thing to understand that God loves you. It's quite another thing to understand that at your worst, Christ died for you. That with his death, Jesus would forgive us of our sins by taking on the punishment that we deserve. And this mission would have been kept classified by the Roman authorities, known only to his closest constituents, except for the fact that word leaked that this Jesus who had died came to life again. The resurrection is proof of God's power at work in the church, and the church is the visible proof of the resurrection. This is the true message of the gospel. This is what it is to hear and understand the grace of God. It's it's to understand that there's grace for Paul, but there's also grace for Kanye. It's to understand that there's grace for all of us and that we're all in need of God's grace. Because at the cross of Christ, God takes us from the dominion of darkness and he brings us into the kingdom of the son he loves. It's a rescue mission and it's a message of redemption. It's why we call Jesus Christ our redeemer. And it's also the reason why the church was so serious about recording, copying, reading, and spreading this message. This message that we now have and we call the Bible. They were committed to Christ, and so they were committed to his message. Jesus, if you think about it, they were committed to the message. Jesus was the message of God. He wasn't just a messenger. He was the message. To be committed to the word meant being committed to Jesus because Jesus is the word. New City, as we are committed to the word, we're also committed to Jesus. And to testament, the testament of our commitment to Jesus is our commitment to the word. It's being biblically rooted. It's, it's, it's taking time out, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week to learn about this God through the scripture. So I said earlier how, I said earlier how The church follows the pattern of the word. And this is where roles flip because just as we talk about the church being committed to the word, the message of the gospel, the very message itself is a message of God's commitment to us. So we are are committed to the message of the gospel, but the message itself is God's commitment to us. It's what Jesus has done for us. So the growth of the word and the growth of the church are one and the same, but also they're not for us to do. If you look at this passage and you look, especially from verses 9 to 14, you find that there's not 
a command or a prompt for us to do. There's nothing in here that we are told to do. Because ultimately, God is the the, the one responsible for the growth. God is the one that fills us in verse 9. He gives us the spirit of of understanding in verse 9. So as we hear, God is giving us understanding and he's allowing for growth. And this was by God's design. This is not something that he kind of just made up on the fly. This is something that from the very beginning was God's design. See, in the beginning, God created us as his image bearers. And he told us to, to, multipl- to, to multiply, to be fruitful, to increase on the earth. And then as we did that, we would reflect God's image throughout the world that he created. That as we increase and have babies, we would kind of reflect that image throughout It's the same phrase here that Paul uses when he refers to the word grow. And as the church, capital C, so so bigger than New City Fellowship, but, but the church at large, as the church grows and increases through the earth, the earth would be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. So that we would reflect his image in the knowledge of God to a world that does not know God, As we bear fruit and as we grow, as we're committed to this word, this is the the product. This is the result, that the knowledge of God would fill the earth. As we're committed to the word, it's God that helps us to bear fruit in every good work. Because when you grow in your love for God, the byproduct is you, you learn to love God's people. So what does that look like here? Whereas we're committed to grow in the word, we're also committed to serving. Within New City, we have ministry teams of people that have faithfully served on the worship team, on the welcome team, on our kids' church. We have people that have served, and it's because not just their their love for people, but their love for God. But that actually comes from the commitment that they have to God's word. And so we see that it's bearing fruit and growing. It's a part of how we grow. But God also helps us to grow in the knowledge of God. So as we commit to God's word, we learn the character and nature of God. We, we learn what pleases him. We learn what doesn't please him. We, we learn to love what he loves, what his plan is, how much he loves us. And it begins to transform us from the inside out. One, one, one pastor compares the word of God to a diamond. If you think of a, a, a diamond, a diamond cut with innumerable, innumerable facets with perfectly reflecting surfaces. That as the scriptures are read by countless persons and in thousands of cultures, that diamond is turned in ways that suddenly catch and release a beam of God's self-authenticating glory that I had never noticed. And that's what the word of God is. In, in my work on uh, the campus, as I help lead Christian community on the college campuses, I cannot count how many students have been transformed by a serious study of God's Word. These are the same students that maybe they might have grown up in church or they grew up in church, but they had not gone in a while. 
But when they sit in front of the Word and we take part in a serious Bible study, that is the measure by which these students change. And they grow in ways that they could never fathom just by looking at the Word. They're able to make connections. They're they're drawing conclusions. They're asking hard questions. And they see that there's relevance to the Bible as opposed to a book that is outdated and out of touch. Now, it is true. The Word doesn't answer all of our questions and all of our longings. The Word is not going to tell us who we, are to, or who we ought to date, the job that we should take. But that's the difference between finding answers and holding on to promises. Because I, I, don't, I, I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. I don't know about the current job situation that many of you guys are in. You probably don't even know. But I do know who's in control of that. And I do know who's in control of, of our eternity. If God takes care of our eternity, won't he take care of us right now? That's a promise. So for many of these students, it's through this serious study that the word, uh, of the word, that students actually point to the time where something changed in them. It's when they noticed growth. It's through this same word that God uses to strengthen us with great endurance and and patience, as it says in verse 11. Because when we realize his plans laid out for us in his word, we realize that the best is yet to come. That we may be going through tough weeks and we might have had tough days, but it's incomparable with the glory that's to be revealed when we finally see him face to face. It's this hope that no matter what happens, good or bad, He will be worth it. Being with him for all of eternity will be worth it. And it's where, as C.S. Lewis puts in a famous children's book, where everything sad will become untrue. The result is us giving thanks to God. The result is giving joyful thanks to the Father for what he has done for us through Jesus. That's what we're created for. We were created to give him thanks. We were created to to acknowledge him, to worship him, and to enjoy him forever. For all the jokes that I make about being a parent, uh, Ellie and I are are still fiercely committed to our daughter's growth and well-being. And it's not that we think that she's the most special individual in all the world and that she deserves only the best, but we we think hard about the best ways in which to raise our child and, and future children. Should God give us anymore? And it's not just the big things, but the everyday things. As babies grow, there's teething, there's colds that happen, there's growing pains. Annabella was experiencing that this weekend, so neither of us got much sleep. It was hard for her, but it's also hard on us. But it's a part of her growth, and so some long nights are necessary. But when I think about God... As our Father, and I think about His commitment that He has to us, His church. Think about this. If you're a believer this morning, then you believe that God gave up His best in giving His Son for you. It has nothing to do with the type of believer you'll grow into be, or the long nights that you will have, or the long nights that you currently have. That's it. Jesus loves you right now. And his commitment to you is unwavering. 
wouldn't you want to know more about that kind of love? Wouldn't you want to grow more in the knowledge of that kind of love? And not just that, the God of that kind of love? It's his love for us that sparks a desire towards committing ourselves to him by growing in his word, by being committed to his word. And we're trying to find out now as a church, like, how do we help our our people to be committed to his word throughout the week? So John's going to be laying that out in a few weeks. But I want to pray for us, and I want to pray that we would all kind of search down deep and and really understand more than we want to be committed to God and his word. God has shown himself faithful, and he's been committed to us. Whether we read the Bible every day or we haven't read the Bible in six months. Whether we know any part of the Bible or we know all of the Bible or think we know all the Bible. God's commitment to us is the same. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this early church that gives us a hint and a glimpse of what it looks like to be committed to your word. And I just pray, Jesus, that you would help us as we live this out as a church, as New City Fellowship, about to celebrate three years and beyond, Lord, that you would help us to be biblically rooted and committed to your church. This only happens through your spirit. And so we thank you and we praise you for what you have done, but also what you will do through your word. And would you grow us as a church and as believers? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.